this thing on? Am I broadcasting to the internet? Are we good? Shut up, Jenny. Hello, Megan here from the Dub Talk Podcast. Tonight we are here to talk about something important to us all. That the people next to you are probably demons from another dimension bent on killing you all. However, we here at the Dub Talk Podcast are just here to warn you about them. So here are the following signs that you may be looking for if your friend, dog, brother, mother, lover may be a demon. If they start using language and subject matter that is not suitable for all audiences because viewer's discretion is advised. If they start spouting off random spoilers for any and all series, including the one that we're talking about tonight, your friend might be a devil. And lastly, just in case you accidentally, you know, kill your friend or something, we here at the Tub Talk Podcast are, you know, not responsible for what everyone says and everyone's opinion is their own. So if you accidentally kill a guy, uh, blame the dude next to you because he totally looks suspicious. Now, with that being said, if you want to report a demon sighting, just remember to send it to the Dub Talk Podcast Twitter at Dub Talk Podcast or our YouTube channel at Dub Talk. Now, if you excuse me, there is a very, very catchy song playing on repeat outside my window. I don't know why it keeps going on, but it's really catchy and I can't stop dancing. Cut, cut, cut the feed. I, help. Okay, but in all seriousness, guys, we are talking about Devil Man Crybaby tonight. And while we do encourage you to try to watch the show to keep up with us, the show's subject matter, visuals, and, you know, just normal intensity is not suitable for all audiences and can cause a lot of things to happen. We do not want you pushing yourselves through the show just to keep up with us. However, if you are interested in Devilman Crybaby and you do want to check it out after, go right ahead. We did try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible. No, we didn't. We talked about everything. I'm a liar. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, a show where Hellspawn with a human heart get together and talk about a recent dub or dub announcement. Today we discuss the latest anime sensation that hit Netflix earlier this month. No, it's not Kakegurui. Not yet. We're talking about Netflix's first globally original anime series from acclaimed director Masaaki Yuasa, Devilman Crybaby. A magical weekend of magfests and blizzards across the East Coast as it premiered has led to a perfect storm of memes and song covers, as far as the eye can see. So joining me on this wonderful and horrifying journey are none other than Jet. Man, 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 you bet. Awesome. Uh, Amon. But the real thing everybody wants to know is what does Glenn Danzig think? <laughs> and of course we have Megan Roots Roots of Justice <laughs> Damn it you messed this up Roots of Justice Megan Megan aka Queen Hero 2 Hey Roots How the hell have you been keeping then Can I wear my shoes in here I don't give a shit Face it we all know I would be Rio situation <laughs> like, where is the lie guys a plot description from netflix 
Um, Akira Fudo learns from his best friend, Ryo Asuka, that an ancient race of demons has returned to take back the world from humans. Ryo tells Akira that the only way to defeat the demons is to incorporate their supernatural powers, and suggests that he unite with the demon himself. Akira succeeds in transforming into Devil Man, who possesses both the powers of a demon and the soul of a human. The Battle of Devil Man and Akira Fudo begins. Alright, so I should probably just get started and like, deal with our, our dialogue directors, shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Alright, so in an interesting twist, um, we don't have a scriptwriter. A scriptwriter was just flat out not credited by Netflix, so... Yeah, an or rather spliced bread because that seems to happen with all that in any case, um, we do have two dialogue directors in the form of uh, Bob Bucoles and Megan Bucoles. Now, Bob Bucoles has directed dubs such as Pokemon Origins, In This Corner of the World, Knights of Sidonia, Ajin, Blame, Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, and Digimon Adventure Zero Two. Now, Megan Bucoles hasn't really done a lot. She is credited as the English director for a Spanish television series called Money Heist, aka La Casa de Papel. Um, she's working with Bob Bucoles on Violet Evergarden, which will come at some point. Curse you, Netflix. But not. That, but not for you, because you are American. Ah! You are a motherfucker! <laughs> and um, there's also another thing she's credited as working with Bob Buchholz on. But I'm not going to say it because of the nature in which it was revealed. It was basically a leak. Oh, then I know what joke it is now. Yep. Alright, so um, let's start with Jet. What are your thoughts on the okay. direction? And maybe a little bit on script writing, even though we don't know who exactly it is. Okay. Alright, um, so I actually have seen just about all the sliced bread dubs on Netflix that have been released so far. And, uh, generally speaking, they've just been kind of okay to me. Like, never terrible, but usually not any, anything to write home about in either casting or performances. Uh, but with that in mind, the more I set up this stuff, the more I feel this is probably my favorite work from so far. I mean, I have a couple of issues with some performances that we'll get to later. And I do kind of wish that uh, Bob Rickles would use more actors in his dubs. I mean, I like Johnny and Bosch, Steve Silverside, but the next guy, but those aren't the only two voice actors in the universe. Uh, but, uh, but aside from that, I felt that pretty much everyone did what they needed to, and I was extremely happy with our main leagues. Um, script-wise, there isn't really a whole ton you can say here. I watched the show with the subtitles on while I was going through it, and uh, it's pretty much about as straight as a translation as you can really get. Uh, my only real complaint here with that is that I kind of wish the dub had a little bit more swearing. I mean, like the dub already, like the show already pumps out massive nineties of the A5, so having excessive swearing would really been a nice throwback. Uh, but for what we got, it's fine, and I don't really have any complaints. Okay, uh, who would like to be next? I guess I'll go. Uh, I really enjoyed the dub. Um, 
Uh. Fuck. Ah, uh, my brain <laughs> set off for a second. My brain just disconnected from my body, like many heads were disconnected from bodies in this show. Um. I would say I'm just thinking with my penis, but I don't have that. Um. I mean. Uh, it's a it's a really good dub. It's not something I, I was expecting to be as entertaining as it was. Um, I have to agree with Jet that it, there's there's some characters in there who uh, didn't get as good until like they were just about to leave us. Um, I I really did appreciate a lot of the cast. I would say that though for the use of California actors, except for our main two ones, the rest of the cast seemed like a throwback to the like the pre, like, kind of like, I don't know, like, the early sorted online days of Anaplex, hmm. where it was, like, five people, or, like, Bleach, where, like, seven people played, like, five characters. Uh, but I think that they, that the two directors did a really good job, um, especially handling the subject matter in the show, too. Because this show is, uh, dense, like a... Like, like, okay, like, legitimately, I don't think I've ever felt my stomach drop as hard over the course of an hour and a half, or, like, two hours, since I watched Oof. Dancer in the Dark. Ooh. And Yeesh. for those of you who have, those of you who know what Dancer in the Dark is, you will understand that sentiment. If you do not know what Dancer in the Dark is, unless you have the stomach for it, don't go watch that movie. Like... I was very, very pleasantly surprised, like I said. Um, hopefully that I wouldn't mind seeing this team work on other Netflix dubs, uh, but I do have to agree with Jet in terms of uh, the casting, like be a little more adventurous. There's a lot of really good actors out in California. Um, and after watching other certain dubs, uh, a lot of them can do things you don't expect. Script writing, um, I felt it was fine. I felt like this is a dialogue-heavy show, so sometimes it's there. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with uh, adding more swearing and stuff or throwing back to that era, because, I mean, we we referenced it as a joke in the beginning of the episode with the old Devilman OVA lines, um, but if you go too far in one direction, you're going to go from like having a really solid write, like script writing to being a fucking joke and honestly I think this show deserves to not be turned into a fucking joke writing wise so uh, but I feel like the script writer did a, a really good job and kept me really engaged with uh, the show I won yeah I, uh, I I really enjoyed the job on the whole um, I feel like this is this is a tricky show to pull off. It's very like heady and dense, and it tries to do a lot at diff you know different points. Um, you know, as far as you know, there's there's comedy and there's horror and there's drama, and you know there's a lot to there's a lot you can drop the ball on. And I thought they did a I I thought they pulled off all the hard parts and delivered some some really good stuff. Um, I, I would agree. Like they could, they could have a little more diversity in their casting. I'm not as familiar with some of their other works, but it does sound like they have a pool of actors they like working with, and they could probably do to sort of have that widen up a little bit. Um, what else? As far as the script writing goes, um, I thought it was like solid, if maybe not particularly standout. And I'm sort of toward. I feel like it could have, it could have used a little more swearing, but it also reminded me a lot of. Um, some Oasis other shows like stuff like Tatami Galaxy where it's frequently crass but not like 
lots of profanity crass, if that makes any sense. You know, it, feel, it almost feels weirdly appropriate that, like, there's a lot of, like, gratuitous violence and nudity. But all the dialogue's kind of PG-13. I don't know. It worked in a weird way for me. Okay, um... So while I do mostly agree with you guys in terms of the casting, I have to say, at least in terms of Devilman Crybaby, I'm actually kind of pleasantly surprised at how much they subvert your typical expectations of each of the cast members. Like, these are roles you would not expect the actors to be playing in. And that... That takes a lot of trust, and I have to give a lot of props to the directors and the uh, and the and casting directors for all that. Um, in my opinion, this is probably up. It may not be the strongest dub for Netflix, but it's definitely definitely one of their better ones. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. I mean. As somebody who was on the uh, last Netflix dub, and I was kind of mildly disappointed with that one, so <laughs> yeah. this is better than that. I know Jet and I will disagree with that there. But... Oh, 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 no, no, no. Oh, no, I have to agree with you. Oh, really? You like this better than Little Witch? I mean, I like that that five, but this is a lot stronger. Yeah, it's... I don't think it's the strongest one they've done yet. I would still probably give that to Seven More, uh, Seven Deadly Sins. Not wow! wow. <laughs> <laughs> I almost fucked that oh, up. No. You can you can show oh, one no. of these no, shows. Dave you can show one of these shows to your niece and nephew. <laughs> We're not going to fan service hell. We're going to the hell with good gratuitous sex and violence, not bad gratuitous sex and violence. <laughs> But no, Seven Deadly Sins, I would mm, still say, yeah. is probably their strongest stuff that they've put out. Mm, but, um, yeah. it... Obviously, not, like, Kake, Kake Garui and, uh... And, like, Children of the Whales, like, notwithstanding, though. Granted, I, I also did, like, Fate Apocrypha, but that's for another night. And, you know, it's interesting that you guys actually brought up the swearing. Because there was actually something I kind of noticed in the, uh, in the later episodes... There are characters that say fuck in that show. Oh yeah, it's, hell yeah. Uh, like I think Akira says like fuck you. Oh no, it's um it's the American <laughs> soldiers. Like like they're of course. Of course it is. Like they're they're out there as they're shooting up all the all the devil men and people who who are claiming to be devil men. Like you can actually hear them yell out, Die motherfuckers! <laughs> for pet motherfuckers and I'm just like holy shit watch your mouth roots of justice I'll get the soap yeah this is supposed to be a family show you kiss your mother with that mouth roots but I'm just like oh you kiss your dogs with that hey, mouth hey gross I know that was bad you're not don't don't bring in Sandy gross. and me gross but yeah, um, it, it was one of those things that, oh, the American soldiers are the characters that are swearing. This actually makes sense to me. Like, they use that to boost the impact of, oh, like, this is mass hysteria on the last three episodes. Mm. And I actually... You know, other than the fact that, you know, there's there's a fuzzy gremlin-looking 
thing named Psycho Jenny who makes the <laughs> 80s come back into style with her attack. <laughs> Did I also mention that she has titties on her back? What's your magic power? I make things psychedelic. Yeah, but like, I totally want to see that, but so, so it's like Jenny Bucky dolls. We need to get out of that. Yeah, right? <laughs> Complete with a pair of accurate tits on the back. Jerry Garcia, man. Just, just... <laughs> some, some old hippies watching it's like, Hey, I saw this. I was listening to Dark Star in 69. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> somewhere out there, some out there somewhere, like, Psycho Jenny is someone's waifu. Of course she is. Look at her. And I don't mean, like, her human doll thing. Where I think that's probably one of my favorite lines in the show is, what's wrong with her? Oh, that's just my secretary. <laughs> Okay, that now we're not here to do it. No, just just read the Rio's like just Rio's explanations for most things are pretty are pretty fucking great. Like just just that and uh that and when Taro uh, hacks into Octavia's profile <laughs> to watch porn. Yep, it's the little things. Uh, okay, so are we gonna? Yeah. Um, our first two cast members are basically. I guess you could call them the Greek chorus here. Um, it's basically the rappers. And, you know, in the Japanese, you also did a very interesting thing with them. Basically, hiring actual SoundCloud rappers to come in and play these characters. And uh, they lay down some pretty sick beats. That they didn't dub, thank Jesus. Well, except for one, <laughs> but we'll get to that here in a second. So, um, we're only going to go over two of them today, because I think they're basically the only two who actually had credited casts attributed to them. Yes, uh, 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 no, the third, no, the third one did. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But, um, these two are, uh, Kukun. Basically, he has the hots for one, for a character we'll be, uh, we'll be discussing here in a second. And, uh, he ends up paying for it. Pretty badly. Yeah. And, um... And then we'll... It's not a big fan of, uh... The, 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 uh, Gwen Stacy, uh... Spider-Woman <laughs> universe. <laughs> and then we also have Wom, who's basically... He kind of seemed like the second in command of the, uh... Of the rapper troupe. He ends up getting, like, a big heroic moment at the end of the show, but ultimately he meets the same fate. He gets turned into a pincushion for knives. Yeah, uh, spo spoiler to people who haven't seen the show yet, you don't want to get attached to a lot of these characters. It's a bad idea. I did anyway. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's obviously yeah, it's like, you, know, like yeah. you, you you will, you'll just regret it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> also, by the way, if you if you didn't listen to our disclaimers, like, haha, this is for chumps. Yeah, we're fucking spoiling everything. Damn straight. It's all, it's all Netflix, guys. Like, it'll it, it'll take you six hours. That's a Saturday afternoon. Get cracking. 
Ah, Sorry, five hours. All right, all right. So, all right, so who are the actors playing Daddy's? Right, right, right. Um, Cocoon is played by Keith Silverstein, who you would know as Koji Tanaka and Ajin Demihuman. Uh, Cyborg 005, aka Geronimo Jr., in Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman. Hunter ah, Hunter. Uh, Robert E.O. Speedwagon in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And Gil DeSoro in One Piece Foam Gold. Now, Wom, on the other hand, is played by Johnny Young Bosch. He plays Atsuji in Blame, Ichigo Kurosaki in Bleach, Orga in Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans, Artemis in Sailor Moon, and Cyborg 009, aka Joshimura, in Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman. Uh, so what is your opinion on these two uh, rappers? Okay, I guess I'll go. I mean, um, so it's pretty interesting hearing uh, Johnny and Bosch here. I mean, I, I, mean, I definitely would have read Monkey's best work, but I have to admit, I was pretty entertained hearing him do a gangbanger accent, because uh, that's definitely not the sort of thing you would associate with Mr. One Piece. Uh, for, okay, uh, for anyone who gets Drive Diddy's, you, I mean, for anyone who's seen Drive Diddy's, you probably know what I was referencing. Uh, okay. Uh, but, uh, anyway, I like this character a lot, and, um, I was pretty interested to see that there was a lot more to him as crew than, like, the show kind of first went on. Uh, but my favorite of the group is definitely, uh, Kukin here. I really like the dynamic between him and Miki, and I felt kind of bad for him when she didn't really get his love convention, because, uh, she's, uh, she's bad for the other team there. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, lesbians! <laughs> Spoiler alert, okay, uh, this show is gay. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, Jed, I'm sorry. Please continue. Yeah. Okay. Okay, um, okay, uh, so, uh, speaking of said love I really appreciate how Keith's oversight handled that whole bit, because, like, at first, the rap seemed really goofy to kind of just sitting there like, wait, what the heck are you doing? But the further along he gets in the lyrics, the more his performance kind of escalates. By the time he finished those last couple of verses, I was almost as much on Miko was. And uh, it's really great when actors can pull off those kinds of 180s on you, so bad props to Keith Silverstein there. And uh, I definitely do want to get into a rap battle with him, so good on you. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go next. Uh... I really enjoyed both performances, actually. I liked that Johnny Bosch was here, of all things, instead of as another character, because I feel like if this, uh... I feel like in another dub, he probably would have actually been made to be Akira Fudo himself. There's 100% an alternate universe where he is playing Akira Fudo in yeah. this show. Like, you were, you yeah, were 100% yeah, correct. We all know there. There's also, a, there's also an alternate universe where, uh, this has a four kids dub, and Akira's name is, uh... Albert. <laughs> Albert Frankston, who turns into uh, Deco Man. Oh, no, no, no. You can still call him Devil Man. You just can't call the monsters demons. Oh, that's right. There's a kid's. They're, they're just monsters. They're, uh, they're, uh, they're just monsters. Oh, yeah, I forgot the Shaman King dub oh, exists. True. Uh, they did that a couple of times in Yu Gi Oh! It's true. Uh, 
but there would be less child murder in that version. Um, What's the point then? I remember who they tried to get Ava. I remember who they tried to get Ava was. What? <laughs> get in the robot, Sean. Wait, whoa, 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 Jet. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, apparently that. <laughs> anyway, while Jet laughs himself into a coma in the corner over there, um, uh, but yeah, no, I really like Johnny Bosch. I really felt for him in episode nine when him and Miki are having kind of some moments, and he becomes a human pincushion for knives. Um, when he gives her the earring, I really was like, "You're a good motherfucker, Johnny Bosch." Uh, Keith Silverstein, I really appreciated the rap. I didn't know Hisoka could lay down some sick beats. Um, I really, really liked him. I, I felt kind of sad that he died kind of early in the show. Uh, I was kind of hoping for more out of him. Uh, there is, I think one of my favorite interactions is when he talks to Miki about a uh, beast being in her room. Because, oh good Jesus. I don't know if I want to talk about it there or here. Uh... I think I'm gonna save her when we talk about me that Miki. Um, and but yeah, no, I really, I really appreciated the rap. I like that if, out of all the raps, they did that one because I that one was actually kind of like in the scene. There's one in the first episode that is too, but I feel like the other the other raps were kind of like an overture thing, so I didn't mind them not being dubbed. Um, granted, we all know Johnny Bosch can sing, so I'm pretty sure he can. He can rap, so though it would have been really weird for me because he plays Makoto in free, and I just would have imagined like Makoto in free <laughs> rapping. Um, so whatever, it would have made it a better fucking doll. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll pass it on to Amon because I don't really have much more to say about the two of them, other than uh, I liked I liked both performances. Uh, I agree. I enjoyed a, I enjoyed both. I enjoyed both of them too. Uh, I did like they, ca they cast Johnny in this capacity. I tend to think of like what's a Johnny M. Bosch role. There's a lot of like wide-eyed innocence in there. Um, you know, he, he would you know in a lazier dub, he'd be the guy you cast as Akira because he can do that in his sleep at this point. So like the fact that he was this you know sort of gang you know this this get sort of wannabe gangster guy who's actually like a pretty solid dude when the chips are down. Like I appreciated that. Um, and I really enjoy I enjoy Keith a lot. I I agree. I think. Yeah, I, I think leaving most of the other raps in Japanese was perfectly fine because of their way it is, but I think you needed to translate that one for it to have the same impact in the dub that it has in the Japanese. Uh, and it was also just fun for the novelty of hearing the guy who voiced Johan Liebert do a short rap <laughs> about how I like you. <laughs> and But I'm too nervous to say that, so I'm going to rap it to you. <laughs> Johan, imagine if now if all of Monster was solved via rapping. <laughs> I've never seen Monster, but I'm going to assume that the the uh, isn't there like a scene where Johan gives a guy a thing of alcohol? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Yo, 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 Johan's preferred method of murder is to basically make you kill yourself because it's more fun that way. Like he's he's very yeah, he's a very bad man. Please imagine Johan giving that guy the alcohol, but rapping to him is the entire explanation. <laughs> I know I've just ruined Monster for like seven people. The seven of us old enough to remember when that had a legal license and was on sci-fi. Those oh. were the days. Uh, 
Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, it's too early. We're not supposed to get sad until like an Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> True. Um, what else? Yeah, no, I like them, and I also I also wish Kun Kun had stuck around for a while. I found, I found, like, I found this little group of characters interesting, and while I don't think they were, like, underutilized, I would have, I would have enjoyed if they'd showed up more on screen. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... Really, they were just kind of there to provide exposition for the world. <clears throat> I mean, basically, as I said before, yeah. they they basically act as a Greek chorus for this tragic tale of two dudes who just decide to fight demons on a Saturday night. But, um... A as such, if you really kind of look at the lyrics, because... They finally ended up putting subtitles on them. Like, I think it was sometime during the second watch through. And they're basically... <clears throat> basically talking about how, oh, this world has gone to hell in a handbasket. And this is, of course, before the demons even make themselves known. Like, drug addiction, homelessness, the endless cycle of uh, capitalism, yada yada. And it, it does a really good job of setting up the world. Now, as for uh, Keith Silverstein and Johnny Young Bosch, uh, I really like their performances. It really kind I guess Keith Silverstein really doesn't have a typecast now. He's just kind of proved himself to be somebody who can just roll with it. And I, um, I really like his performance, and in particular that rap, because... He, he's really good at, at beatboxing, and it's it, it's spectacular. And um, as for Johnny Young Bosch's WOM, I really like the fact that, you know, as I said with the directors, a lot of the actors were kind of cast against typecast. So seeing Johnny Young Bosch as sort of a punk with a heart of gold, a little more so than, like, Ichigo, it, it was really refreshing. Don't bring up that name in this house. <laughs> this is a One Piece family, god damn it. In this house, and was it, but dad, what if they ask us if we want to watch Bleach? We politely yet firmly ask them to leave. Leave. <laughs> you, everyone can imagine just Spaceman Hardy saying that. Which <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Ichigo, I know this is off topic, but I wanted to bring this up really quickly. So, Jet, remember when you showed the uh, the uh, Ancient Maggots Bride episode cast the picture of uh, of uh, Kubo drawing uh, Todoroki? Yeah. <laughs> so I showed that to Andrew, and he proceeded to lose his mind. And I wish I would have recorded it because it was so funny. He's just like, "That's not even fucking Todoroki. It's just a different color Ichigo." <laughs> anyway, back on track. All right. Um, are we ready to move on to the next group? Yep. All right. Yeah. So next up, we sort of have the. Uh, I would kind of call him Akira's moral compass, and that's the uh, the Makimura family. <laughs> oh god, here yeah. we go. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck. Sorry, Megan. Oh well. We gotta do this now. 
Just rip off the band-aid. Just rip it off. Uh, so we have uh, Mr. and Mrs. Makimura, who Akira's basically staying with. I, I think it was... Uh, I think it was mentioned that Mr. Makimura was, like, a preacher from... I, I want to say it was America or something. Like, he... He's, he's a foreigner because they make fun of Miki Makimura for being, like, half... Not, right. Not all Japanese. It's, it's, uh, yeah, plus he has a beard. It's pretty obvious. And they're Catholic. And his name's Noel. Oh, really? They do, they do give him a, a first name. Apparently, I'm, I'm looking okay. around online and I've seen a credited name. It might be wrong, I'm not sure. And, um... Mrs. Mukimura just kind of... She never seems like she's really all that happy. Like, you can you can see it in her eyes that it, it kind of seems like she's getting a little... I, I don't know, like her... She needs a little devil man in her marriage. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to come on the stage <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> and, um... And then we got little Taro, which, uh, yeah, let, let's just rip that band-aid off now. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, my God. Okay. Like, so I was, I, when I was watching the show, um, everyone was like, oh, man, episode nine's gonna get you. Episode nine's gonna get you, Megan. Like, episode nine is where everyone breaks. But no one, no one uh, set me up for watching a small ten-year-old boy eat a dog and cry to his mom about it, <laughs> and then turn into like some cuttlefish-looking fucking creature, and you just see him like, I can't like, I want to make the, like the motion like he's got like this one really big eye left, and he's like sobbing his little his like big little monster eye out while he like glub gloves his mom's mom into his mouth. And then, this is what I mean by Devilman New Uta was used against me. Because, like, you hear them call his phone and his ringtone is Devilman No Uta because in this universe, the old Devilman cartoons are real. <laughs> hey, yeah, that was a really Just nice Jesus. touch. Yeah, that, that was a really Christ. nice touch. But, yeah. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, man, you're going to get to episode nine. And I'm just like, y'all know one motherfucking word you about, like, Taro. Nope. <laughs> and then the... Um, this is your warning about And then about the Americans Taro. just show up and ruin everybody's day. Yeah. So, in any case, um, Mr. Makimura is played by Christopher Smith, who you would know as uh, Kite and Hunter Hunter. Yes. <clears throat> Lemon Jormungand, Spandam in One Piece, and Ryo Asuka in Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman. Satan? Yes, Satan. Um, Mrs. Makimura is played by Anne Yatko. She really doesn't have a lot of um, anime rules to her name yet, but uh, she has played Amanza Vol. God, Russian names. Um, Amanza Volchkova in ID Zero, Hiromi Shirahane in Kuromakura. And I can't talk about the third one because it was part of the aforementioned leak. And Little Taro was played by Dorothy Fawn, who you would know as Ty's mom in Digimon. And then uh, Marina Unami in Kuromakuro, 
and Tomoe Kashiwaba in the Rosen Maiden special. Um, so what did you guys think of the Makimura family? Okay, um... Okay, so I'm going to admit that out of all the performances of this show, it was probably Miki's mom and Taro that I was kind of the most sour on. Uh, both kind of sound a little stiff to me, and one can kind of get past out of uh, Ediato's case, since Miki's mom doesn't really have a whole ton to do. It was a little bit rougher with Dorby Bot, since, like we said before, things happened to Taro. And uh, her little boy voice didn't really sound all that believable to me, so it kind of took me out of it a little bit. And it's kind of a shame because, like, I've heard Dorby Pot do better, but uh, I wasn't really a big fan of that one. Uh, as far as Chris Smith goes, uh, he was mostly in the background for a while of the show, so I didn't really think too much of his performance at first. But then when we got to, like, uh, his big scene in episode 9, I was, like, really blown away being how he tackled that because, uh... It's, okay, well, I guess we'll just talk about the feeding question real quick. Okay, uh, it's, okay, so, like, we mentioned that, uh, things happen with Taro, how, like... It's, uh, okay, so there's a point where Taro runs away with his mother, and, uh, and the dad finds them just as Taro is, like, literally eating his mother. So, <laughs> it's, okay, uh, so you can tell that... Club, club. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah uh, so when the dad walks in on that, you can tell there's, like, a million and one things going through his head. And, uh, and Chris Smith just really nailed all that. Because, like, like, that, it's just such a massive mix of emotion, and it really kind of helped to give the team a lot of impact where it might have otherwise felt like huge shock value. So, I really got to give it up to Chris Smith there. That was perfect. And really, really. Devil Man Crybaby! Kids get it! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Iron Blooded Orphans joke. Ugh. <sighs> At least nobody's calling their sister. Their uh, at least nobody's having their little sister call the Moni Chad. That's probably uh, for. And that joke is as dead oh. as the Makimura family. Oh. <laughs> no. Um. Did I? Oh shit! I did something awful, didn't I? What have you done? How could you? Are you, are you okay? Good, sorry. You need a minute? Okay. Keep going. Keep going. It's, it's all right. Okay. Okay. Uh, someone's gonna go. I'll. I'll go. Um. Um. I. I. I generally enjoyed them. I thought they were solid. Um. But did suffer a little bit that their characters didn't have as much to do as some of the other cast. I think you know. Uh, Christopher Smith gets his big scene at the end, uh, where you know he he finds his son is now a squid eating his wife, uh, and it's not a You're great a time kid really. Now um, you're a squid now. See, uh, <laughs> I love Splatoon three. You can't you can't see it, but my head my face is in my hands. I hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> I um, to do it. No, no, it's fair. Look, if we don't look, if we don't laugh, how are we gonna get through this? This is enough, this is this, at some point this stops being a fun show. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, as much fun as 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 much fun of a show exists, where like in the first episode, someone literally goes to the movie Teeth in five seconds. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the giant dentata. Um, All right, sorry, I interrupted you. I'm no, on. that's perfectly fine. Um, so you know, Christopher Smith gets a nice big, you know 
dramatic Oscar speech at the end there. It's the show off, and uh, and but I, I thought Anne and, Anne and Dorothy were fine. I think they just had less time to show off. They were much more side characters up until the very end. And even when things start going a little weird for them, like they do, you know, they, they do good. They're just not. I don't think they're given as a many. A little weird. All right, a lot weird. Look, I don't know. Look, it's Devil Man. <laughs> I don't know. I ain't got to explain shit. But um, you know, I, th I think they were solid. They just their character. They had less opportunities to shine in the same way that um, Christopher Smith did. Yeah, mm. but on the whole, I enjoyed them. Yeah, I'll go through the parents really quick. I thought they were both pretty good. Um. I'll agree with the mom not getting a lot of stuff, but I do think that when she had to give, like, the emotional moments, like, with Taro and, uh, like, finding out and, like, running away with her son, uh, it was good. Chris Chris Smith gets that great speech where he's got to determine if he's going to go take Old Yeller behind the shed. <laughs> um, except for Old Yeller's is now Squid's son. <laughs> just, just... Just, yeah, but I actually disagree with Jet. I actually really like Dorothy Fawn as, uh, as Taro. And I, while the voice sounds a little girlish, he's also 10. And his balls haven't dropped, and they never will, because now he's a squid. <laughs> and I don't think squid have that equipment. Um, <laughs> from what I remember. But just, like, she really gets a lot of the, like, really um, energetic little boy stuff down. But when Taro, you start to see Taro's turned into a demon. And, like, you as the audience get it before everyone else. Because you know by this point when somebody be gets possessed by a demon, their appearance starts changing. And all of a sudden, Taro has these really big, like, mascara, like, raccoon eyes. And, again, like, kind of the moment that gets it for me is that you, uh... They're going to the grocery store. And, uh these other women come up and start talking about how a little girl in the class was also a demon and they took her parents away too because if she's a demon what makes like it's kind of that like mob mentality and witch hunts uh but then you but the thing is that as you see as one person's walking up to the store they put their dog on a chain and it cuts away and you see the dog is gone and then you see the mom go to her car and there's Taro covered in blood, and there's like they like show the dead dog of all. I was like, oh my god, that's a dead dog. Um, and he's just like, I'm sorry, mommy, I wanted meat, and like that ripped my heart out right then and there. And I was like, fuck, man, like fuck, Dorothy fought. Like that's when my stomach started its descent. Um, I hope this is a lesson to it, you pet owners out there. Don't strap your dog around a fire hydrant. Wait, 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 that, I mean, it did, dog. What it wasn't has... a fire hydrant. It was like a thing outside the store that, like, the city put on. That, I mean, there was a dead dog. Wait, who who let a rocket right this show? Oh. At least a rocky has the decency to put the dog off screen when it dies and not, like, mutilated. Uh-oh, Jojo. <laughs> Is that a motherfucking Jojo's reference? <laughs> Uh, Son of motherfucking JoJo's reference! <laughs> Owen, this isn't time for a JoJo's reference! I'm sorry! It's always time for a JoJo's reference! Oh my god! Oh no! What the fuck is wrong with them? Uh, <laughs> Just go watch Attack on Titan in 8 minutes or less, you'll understand. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, Roots, go ahead, I'm done. Okay. 
Um, I mean, really, Mrs. Makimura really doesn't do a lot. Even in her big moment where she's kind of taking Taro away to keep him safe. Like, she doesn't really get a lot of speaking lines, so... I really don't have a strong opinion one way or the other on her. I actually did like Taro. For a lot of the reasons Megan mentioned. Because he, he starts out the show kind of spunky. <laughs> looking at him. Looking through Akira's computer. First finding porn and then like a bunch of devil man stuff. And he gets all excited and it's it's really cute. And then when he starts turning into the demon, he's he's just kind of the scared kid. Scared and hungry kid. Scared and hungry kid who's now calamari at some cheapo Italian restaurant. Calamari. But, uh, but yeah, I, I really like that Dorothy Fawn kind of had, kind of had that, that range of emotion for, for Taro. And Christopher Smith, like, that scene in episode 9 where he, he finds Taro eating his mom. Like, that's, I felt for him. Because, uh, he really did a good job conveying that that sort of shock, grief, and just about everything in between. <clears throat> and then the military turned him into Swiss cheese. Mm. Holy shit. That was a good machine gun noise. You should see what it looks like on my audacity. <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> surprise talent. I'm our own Foley department. <laughs> okay. Uh... Everybody at home's probably like, how the fuck did she do that? I'm just sitting there, like, rolling my tongue into the back of my mouth. <laughs> okay, and uh, moving Thanks. on. Um, yeah, so next up, we have the, um, sort of the antagonists that show up around the middle of the show and towards the end. Uh, first of all, we have Cyrene, who's sort of played as the big bad for, like, the first half of the show. The titty heart, the titty orgasm harpy. <laughs> <laughs> like, probably one of the hornier on main characters of the show that is very horny on Go main. Guy is was horny on main before horny on main could be introduced. Pretty much. And then we also have Koda, who's a uh, who's a track runner on a rival team of uh, Akira's, and he basically gets possessed. I, I think pretty early, like, from the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. And, um... And he sort of becomes a devil man in the middle of a track meet. He gains his human heart, and then he just... During, like, episode 8 and 9, he just kind of turns on Akira. Because he, he's just tired of hiding. And, he's a little bitch. Yeah. 
Just squirmy little bitch, that's why. Yeah, you know, I, I'd say he's, he's kind of a... Kind yeah. of a bastard in that respect. So, um, Cyrene is played by Cindy Robinson, who you would know as VV in Code Geass. Uh, Anko Uehara in Great Teacher on Izuka. Uh, Samori Itan in Knights of Sidonia. And Paprika, a.k.a. Dr. Atsuko Chiba in the movie Paprika. And um, Koda is played by Bryce Pappenbrook, who you would know as Kaito and Ajin. Aaron Yeager in Attack on Titan. Uh, Meliodas in Seven Deadly Sins. And Akira Fudo in Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman. I think I found the running gag. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the show has track in it, too. Haha, <laughs> running gag. Get it? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Womp. Womp womp. Alright, um, sorry, I guess, alright, sorry, I guess I'll go again. Alright, sorry, uh, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting recognizing Ray's, uh, Ray's book here. Um, because, uh, while I do kind of have, like, mixed feelings on how, like, on how Spice Bread does their casting and using a lot of their magic blood, one thing I do like is that whenever they cast Bryce Pappenbrook, he's usually using, like, his deeper register. And it was a really interesting the first time I heard that analogy because I was like, wait, that's really Bryce. And it's like, and again, I thought myself waiting, oh, wow, that's really Bryce. So, that's always cool. And I kind of hope he, I kind of wish he would get to use his deeper voice more often, but it's always good that he does. And as far as the City Robinson goes, it's like, uh, I like her voice a lot, but I was really happy to see her here. I really, that's it, okay, I, I really like the way he played up the college. So, uh, so, uh, going for exactly like going one two over the top of it, and it was, it was just a really fun time that I really dug it. So, and I, I really, so, and I wouldn't say I like really fell for the character, but I did like her scene with uh, the other, uh, with the other guy, the other episode five, and I thought that was really watching in a weird sort of way. Uh, so anyway, I like both performances a lot. I never really have any. Queen Barrel was an orgasm harpy. Yes, she was. <laughs> Thank you, Megan. I had to ruin Sailor Moon for somebody. Like, Jesus. Somewhere out there, a YouTube listener is just. Oh. Crying his eyes. Like, just, nah. Oh, no. I can't get this image out of my head now. No, because I play Fire... Like, she's in my favorite Fire Emblem game, and I just ruined that for myself. <laughs> oh. If you don't know, I'm a huge <laughs> slut for Fire Emblem Fates. I love Fire Emblem Fates a lot. Um, she's Hanoka. She's Hanoka, that's why. Um, but, no, I really like Serene. Um, I thought she was deliciously, deliciously evil. Um, I mean... This is the character who literally at one point orgasms so hard she turns herself into a harpy. <laughs> and then like fucks a Hirafudo in the air. Like, she she takes she takes sex to a new level. Um, and I thought she did a really good job, especially playing off the male demon that she's like implied to be in love with more than Amon. To which Oh yeah, by the way, Akira's possessed by a demon named Amon, everybody. Um <laughs> And then uh, Bryce, pa Bryce Pappenbrook was one I was like, wait a minute, that's fucking Bryce. 
And, like, literally the first time you really get to hear Bryce, it's when he's doing it doggy style to another guy. And that was something I never thought was going to happen. I mean, Attack on Titan Season 2 got pretty close with the fight with Rainer. But, uh, ha ha, ha 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 that was bad. Oh. It's okay. Really there it. is a smattering of doujinshi to cover that niche. <laughs> uh, wrong person. Everyone usually ships Bearholt and Rainer. If you're shipping Aaron with anybody, for some reason, it's usually Levi, which is weird. Um, anyway, um, but, uh, I really enjoyed it, because I don't usually get to hear Deeper Voice Bryce a lot. The In fact, the first time I actually heard Deeper Voice Bryce in a show, in a thing, was actually because of Fire Emblem Shadows of Valencia. Because he's a char- he's a, a character in that, and I didn't know that was him. Um, and I was like, wait a minute, Bryce? And I looked it up, I was like, I have no memory of this place. Um, <laughs> just, just insert Gandalf gif of him just looking around. <laughs> but I really thought he was great. I, I kind of wish that the character talked more. Um, I loved his, uh, de- devil man form, by the way, that it was just this giant bull thing. Um. And his, his face is just randomly in there. <laughs> Yeah, his face, he looks like a zit. <laughs> he, he is his own decorative ornament. What? He is his own decorative ornament. Yes, he is. Uh, but I really enjoyed uh, both. Uh, I wouldn't say they're kind of the big standouts, but... Okay, Bryce kind of is, only because I, I'm not used to Bryce hearing that. Uh, hearing Bryce do any of that, not in that position. Uh, but I'm going to hand it over to Amon, because I think I'm good here. Uh, yeah, I enjoy them both a lot, too. Um, who is it? I misplaced my notes. There they are. Uh, I thought I, I, I thought Cindy did very very good here. Uh, she she went the whole nine yards. <laughs> this character demanded a lot in a very specific way, and Cindy was up for it. And, oh boy. This is a very extreme show, so I'm, I'm impressed by... It. I, I am I'm impressed I appreciate that they got actors... We're willing, it's like, all right, this is what your character's doing. They're like, yeah, I can do this. That's fine. <laughs> no worries. I've been in worse. With worse writing, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought I thought she did a good job of nailing the, like, sexy, sexual, uh, you know, pamminess of the character. Um, it just brought a lot of fun to the role. She was just fun to listen to. And, uh, and I agree. And I also thought Bryce did a good job. Um, and, and did a lot, I thought he did well at covering the like range of the character, and you know, and he's you know his his anger and his sorrow and his childish betrayal at the end. So disappointing. Um, yeah, no, I thought I thought he I thought he was given a lot of room to uh, you know you know show off and do stuff, and particularly you know particularly if, like if you are more used to him being kind of Aaron Yeager type characters, I think this is a you know it, it, this is a this is a nice contrast to that. And I thought he uh, he brought a lot to the role. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> I I did like Cindy Robinson's Cyrene. <sighs> uh, I'm actually... <laughs> actually having trouble finding words for this one. Um, I mean, when... A lot of your dialogue is just moaning. There's a lot of direction you could go with that. So, 
And uh, I, I did actually I like her fight with uh, with Devil Man, especially in the end when she's you know hu humiliated the the other demon who who has a love affair with her just kind of gives up his body, <clears throat> and she's like screaming the entire way, especially after she after she gets like the lower part of her body ripped off. It. You don't need that. <laughs> well, clearly she does, because that's her favorite part of her body. Oh! <laughs> and, um, I, I gotta hand it to Bryce Pappenbrook as Coda. I really... I mean, honestly, I watched the dub of this show first, because, you know, Netflix. This isn't like a simulcast, so... But I, I was really impressed to see him as, uh, as Coda, because he gets to display, like, that, that kind of grumpiness that you see in a lot of his characters. You get a little sense of hope in, like, the middle episodes, after he's kind of realized he's a devil man. And then, <clears throat> and then, you know, he, he meets Miko again, who's also a devil man. We'll, we'll get to her in a sec. And they, they just decide, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll race and all that. And then he meets the bigger demons and they're just like, hey, do you want to join us? And he's just like, sure. <clears throat> but I do have to say his standout moment is episode nine where he just kind of like randomly shows up as, um, as the kids are sort of accepting Akira's devil man. And he's just like, yeah, fuck you. Rams Boom, him. bitch! And just kind of starts the whole thing over again. I... I really don't have much else to say, because... They were kind of sizable characters, but they really didn't do much until their climatic fights. Mm -hmm. And uh... oh so god, I was gonna make ones? yeah, I was gonna make a joke, but now I can't remember it. So yeah, let's move on. Uh, so these are the other two members of Akira's track team: uh, Miki Makimura, who he also lives with. She's. Uh, she sort of likes Akira, and it's kind of implied he kind of likes her back, but, you know, then she gets dead. So, that's a thing. Whoops. That's an uh, that's the biggest understatement I think I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> that <laughs> she's dead. And then she got dead. Yep. And then you also have uh, Miko Kawamoto. She's always kind of been jealous of Miki's freakish sprinting abilities and she ends up becoming a devil man and then she kind of comes to terms with the fact that you know she's actually kind of in love with Miki and then of course then she gets dead as characters in devil man are wont to do mm-hmm she's a titty spider yep she is a titty spider so in any case um Miko Kawamoto is played by Jeremy Lee, who you would know as Lucy Harphelia in Fairy Tale. 
uh, Maya Mikuri in ID Zero, Sailor Venus in Sailor Moon, and Patty Thompson in Soul Eater. <clears throat> and Miki Makimura is played by Christina V, who you would know as Mako Mochizuki in Digimon Adventure Tri, Kila Zoldik in Hunter Hunter, the Honoka series in Nice Sidonia, and Miki Makimura in Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman. <laughs> There's a running theme. Hmm. There's an app. She passed the baton to herself. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Take the baton, Akira! Uh, Take the baton. Oh, and I just made myself uh, sad. Uh, what have you done? No. I just got hit with a wave of the sads. Yep. Okay, let's just let's just get this out of the way right now. Um, I'm gonna say this really quickly. Aspiring anime reviewers, if you ever make a top ten list of the top ten saddest anime deaths, and Miki Makimoto from Devilman Crybaby isn't on your list, you're fucking wrong. Yeah. Like Jesus, H. <laughs> like, like I, I, Ruth described it best to me actually in text. I was like, I, I, th I just kind of texted him back at like one around like one thirty in the morning, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Um, I was like, "Dude, holy shit!" And he's like, "I could have described that to you in excruciating detail, and it would still not have lessened the impact of how she dies." If at that point, no. and what they do to her. There's, like, no way you could do that. Like, just, oh god, I have a stomachache just thinking about yeah. it. Like, <laughs> okay, uh, sorry, I guess I'll go while you guys are recovering from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so anyway, I really like Christina V as Miki. As, as she gave the character, like, a lot of spots, kind of thought that was really great. And as she got across, like, the whole, like, super empathetic personality really well. I, I mean, it was really easy to feel for Miki, and, uh, I mean, that person kind of seems like, you know, like, this sort of ditzy, typical anime girlfriend, but, okay, uh, okay, but then I just kind of, like, give it to her a little bit more, you see, like, okay, you see, like, oh, she's, like, kind of going looking for, like, a kind of good reason, she's faced with a lot of discrimination in her past, so, you know, uh, uh, so she kind of uses that as a vehicle of, like, trying to be nice with people, and I thought that was really cool. And, and and I really liked her whole, like, big thing in episode 9, where she tried to, like, tease everyone about, like, you know, just trying to reach out and be nice to other people. And, uh, the, and the thing I really liked about that speech was, like, that was, like, there's a couple of texts where you see, like, there's some people who kind of get it, and then, like, the rest of it is just, like, no, screw you. And, like, and I thought I was, like, very true to life. I thought that was a nice touch. And, uh, and it definitely made uh, her fate all the harsher. And, um, okay, and as far as Mika goes, she was definitely my favorite of the show's side characters, and Jeremy Lee's performance certainly helped a lot with that. I mean, uh, early on, she sounds kind of part of the course for what you sort of expect if you've heard Jeremy Lee before. Uh, but the more you, but again, the more you kind of learn about Miko's struggles, the more I could really buy into the role, because she really nailed a lot of those feelings of jealousy and self-doubt. And, um, I do think she's done a little bit better as Zola Miko as opposed to Spider Miko, since her deeper voice can be a little intermittent at times. 
Uh, but I thought he did a really great job here. I really thought that was good at the end. I thought that was like really well done. And uh, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say here. Both these ladies did a very high job. Go to some bed. I, I guess I will go. Um, holy shite. I'll start with Miko. Um, I loved Jeremy Lee as Miko. Because I thought that uh, when she was still uh, just a regular girl hiding her, like, her, her feelings for Miki through, like, being jealous of her and stuff. Uh, she really got it across, and especially when she would get kind of angry at, like, other people who would, like, come and hit on her. And when she goes to, uh, a Sabbath party with, uh, Keith Silverstein, and that's how she gets turned into, uh, the titty spider. Um, like, literally, at one point when, uh, Miko and Miki are running away from the mob, Miki's riding on top of her, and I think she was actually holding onto the spike, nipple spikes for, <laughs> like, traction. Um, and I really think that she kind of, like, hearing Jeremy kind of get to do, like, darker, like, older girl grunty stuff is really nice. When you're used to her getting, like, shit upon as Lucy or Asuna, not as much, like, Patty and other, like, strong Jeremy roles. So I also be, I really like how dis, like, dissatisfied and just bored as shit she sounded when she's doing a dude in the back alley at gunpoint. Like, like, get this over with. You're the worst. I could do a better job with my hands. You're no piano man. Um, um, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed her anger as the character. And that love confession scene was, like, great. It's like, you know I love you, right? And then just, it's, it's, it's like the gay, it's the gay Han and Leia. I love you. I know. Um... But damn, Christina V is Miki. Holy hell. Uh, she was really, really good in the beginning, being like the cheerful, kind of like spunky, a little bit ditzy girl. And and then you get to episode nine where she does her speech about like the human condition and trying to be a better person. And I'm sitting there like, give this bitch an Emmy. Like, straight up give- fuck you, Amelia Clark. Give it to Christina V. Like- Fuck your Game of Thrones getting an Emmy shit. Like, give it to her. Give it to Double Man. Like, I was, like, super invested. I was near tears. And that's why her performance, I think, is what made the death of Miki hit harder than anything else in the series. And I, I and I, I say that that's also probably why Taro hit me so hard. Is because I really enjoyed the performances. And just seeing Miki get, like... Just, oh god, just, I, I can't spoil those shots. Like, I can't spoil some of the shots in episode 9 and 10. But, like, just the fact that Christina had gotten me, her performance resonated so much with me and got me so attached to that character. Like, Jesus Christ, like, oh my god. Oh man, like, oh, I just feel like my stomach in a ball right now because of that. So good on you both. Uh, I, I agree. Like, for, for a show that's, like, an adaptation of one of the, you know, the grand old, like, tits and blood anime, and to a large extent is merely an elevation of a tits and blood anime, there's a lot, there's a lot of good acting going on in here. Uh, and these, these two are fine, fine examples of that. I thought, uh, I thought Miko was the fascinating character, and I think Charmy Lee helped, um, solidify that for me. She has to go, she has to do a lot in this show. Her character goes through quite an arc. 
Uh, and I think she nails all the tones that she has to. Uh, you know, from, from the beginning when she's just, you know, jealous high school girl, right up to that big speech at the end where she's yelling at that mob. Because, uh, you know, answer me, damn it. Um, and same thing with Christina. Like, she has to hit a lot of notes in this show. And I thought she did just a wonderful job, particularly like, you know, she again has to start out as like what seems like a fairly simple character and it just grows and grows as it goes on. And just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Like the, this is, this is some fine acting. Hot damn. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Chermy as, uh, as Miko, I, I'm really impressed with it because, um, like, like you said, the, the character really goes through an arc. I, the character itself was kind of boring for the first, like, couple episodes, and then Kukun confesses to her, she goes to the Sabbath, and then she becomes, you know, she becomes Spider-Miko. And then she's arrogant, she's brash kind of grumpy and then she starts wandering the streets she you know uh, I, I think it was Megan who brought up the scene where she's she's having sex with the dude and she's just like bored out of her mind and then she smashes his head in and that's by the way how I learned uh, the other guy died Oh, yeah, because, uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you see, like, hand. a... Yeah. You see the hand. Because, uh, yeah, his, his rap talks about, oh, I have the word butterfly tattooed on my hands, and then, like, as that scene's going on, you see, just see the severed hand with the word fly tattooed on it. And you're just like, oh, she probably ate him. Ah. <sighs> I'm sad again. Oh well. And uh Oh dear god, Christina V's Orcus as uh Miki. Cause you know, she she's gotta go through the bubbly phase at first, and then she sort of gets a little stoic when she finds out, oh, Akira's devil man. She protects him against Wom, who kinda has a gun drawn on him. And then every then you know, she does she does that monologue with the blog post. And, uh... Just her yelling, Take the baton, Akira! Right, uh, right as she's running away from the... From the, uh... The people who are about to kill her. God. <laughs> like, episode one tore... I'm sorry. Episode nine tore my heart out. Just kind of showed it to me as I'm just this lifeless stump. And then just kind of throws it in the trash. And then it sets the trash on fire by showing you this happy image of just Miki on the motorcycle with Akira. Oh, that's so With this beautiful song there. And you're just <sighs> like, fuck. You guys ready to have like a not fun time? I actually yeah, found it. I actually found out what the lyrics of the song were about. Uh-huh. It's a guy trying to confess to a girl 
at what he thinks is going to be the last moment he's going to be able to see her. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. The show, show has too many emotions for something with the, with the phrase devil man in the title. Yeah. This is unfair. This is a show with, yeah. with too many emotions where literally one of the characters is a titty spider. Yeah, like... Where, like uh, okay, okay, yeah. In episode and, uh, one, yeah. you watch a woman's boobs bite a guy's head off. Okay, and, uh, and uh, speaking of bullets, I guess it's, uh, it's time to get to the big one. <laughs> oh, yes. Rio <laughs> Asuka. Like, <sighs> hey, I'll say in. The guy who just randomly shows up. Oh, hi, Akira. Hey, you want to go help me kill demons? Do you, do you want to come into my flashy sports car? We're going to go to a party. We're going to summon demons, and then we're going to kill them. You want to come? Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so before we get into anything else, can I just bring you out, like, okay, that's the where he's, like, looking at the Book of Revelation. Look, they're they're in they're in Japan. They don't know how the Bible's laid out. <laughs> he had that prepared just to look at bad <laughs> And then like also, can we talk about the fact that like people are gonna start like I swear to god when three of us uh three fourths of us go to A B we're just gonna play a game. It's how many Devil Man cosplayers are we gonna oh see? Oh God, there's gonna be so many. <laughs> Jesus. I know people who are like wanting to cosplay Rio already, and Rio wears a thousand dollar jacket. Oh no. And whips out an AK-47. And like, didn't the maker of the jacket make like a discount version that was like still five hundred dollars or something? Oh no, Megan. The original coat was not a thousand dollars. It was oh, ten thousand. My, my bad. See, what I'm looking forward to is the long, long line of Akira cosplayers who have to get their uh, their fake AK-47 checked at the Heinz <laughs> or the uh, whatever the convention center's called. <laughs> that'll be yeah, the Heinz. That'll be fun. <laughs> oh. Uh. So in any case, um. Ryo Asuka is basically um, Akira's right-hand man, his information gatherer. Oh yeah, and it turns out he's Satan. Like, like I'm not, I'm not making this as a metaphor. Not... Like he is literally. No, he's actually Satan. like a actual fallen angel Satan. With like, titties. Yes. He rebels against God. God banishes him to the cold vastness of space. He stumbles on Earth, which have these strange creatures that merge with each other in order to gain power. And he just kind of sympathizes with them, and then he decides to use them to turn against God. That, like, that that's his entire master plan right there. <laughs> so in any case, um, Ryo Asuka is played by Kyle McCarley. Who you would know as Killy in Blame, uh, Shinji Mato in Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, uh, Shigeo, aka Mob Kageyama in Mob Psycho 100. Oh, and Cyborg 0014, aka Edward, 
in Cyborg 009 versus Devilman. Da, 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 da. You thought it was over. You were wrong. It was me, Rio. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh. Okay, um, so I guess I'll go first again. Right, uh, so ever since I heard Kyle McCarley's album two years ago, I think it was, uh, two years ago, whatever, I was keeping track of this stuff. Anyway, ever since I first heard him in Dura Rock, I've been continually impressed with his work and each new thing he's done, uh, because he's been able to demonstrate more and more of how wide his character ranges. And while this isn't my first time seeing him play the villain, since I watched most of the Olympic Blade Works now, and he was, he was definitely a ride that should be really better here than uh, but uh, where that was like really over the top and heavy, here he plays Rio kind of like emotionless. Like he sounds very charismatic and easy to understand why like people would fall for his team and why like Andrew would be so drawn to him. Uh, but there's always a sense of distance between himself and the world around him that really plays into his own lack of empathy. And uh, Kyle McCarley tapped all of that really well. Uh, having said that, though, my favorite moments with him were definitely where he like, started going bonkers in episode 8, that was really fun. And then, of course, that final scene of the show. Uh, the one thing I really appreciate about how he handled that final scene was that rather than going to like, some really big emotional breakdown that sounded like, really dramatic and all that, instead of just like, playing like, really softly, just, you know, as if like, something in him just kind of like, finally cracked, it really helped to sell me out of that conclusion, even if I wasn't the biggest fan of it. So, uh, kudos to you, Kyle McCarley. That was a really good performance. Ah, uh, I'll go next. And I, I agree. Like, he... I don't know, he... I, I've been trouble putting this in the words. Like, he had a role... Like, his, his role was not unflashy, per se. Um, but it didn't feel kind of like it didn't have a lot. Of, it didn't feel like it had a lot of the obvious markers of like, oh, this is good acting, built into it. Um, but I, like, I enjoyed how he was good at like kind of the more quieter, like you know, I'm going to explain this to you, Akira, because you don't know what's going on yet. And then he could also because you're an idiot. Hmm? yeah, uh, because you're because <laughs> you don't know anything, Akira. Don't pay attention. Um, he's good at that. He's also good at like amping it up when Akira gets a little more bloodthirsty. Or is trying to rally humans and just murdering each other like you do. Um, and yeah, and he really nailed that final scene, which feels like the feels like you know any lesser dub. That's the scene you kind of you misstep on, and it kind of spoils the whole thing. But I thought he played it just right, and he was he was just a delight to listen to the whole way through. Oh boy. Um... So for a really long time listening to this, I, I don't know how I felt about Kyle McCarley as uh, Rio. Because I felt like maybe this was a little flat. But no, it's not flat because Rio doesn't really show a lot of outward emotion and is very reserved and is a murderous little shitbag who doesn't ever let the business persona down. But at the same time, it's like, is this good acting? Is it not good acting? I don't know. Turn it, tune into the next episode of Devil Man. No, Netflix, I don't want to skip the opening, you <laughs> assholes. Um, but, like, I think when it finally all clicked into place at two in the goddamn morning is when Satan realized he fucked up. Um, where he's just, like, giving his little speech, like, honestly, like, this is going to sound really weird for people who've not watched the show. 
but it sounded like pillow talk. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I mean, look at that framing. Like, I mean, like, legitimately, it sounded like they just got done having sex. Um, there was, I mean, well, I mean, Akira has come on the ceiling, and I'm pretty sure he could have come in the sky by that point. Um, but like. And then he just leans over and he goes, Akira, why are you not? Oh, fuck. And there's just Akira's missing the goods. Um, <laughs> and, and and that was kind of, for me, the moment that really, like, yeah, Kyle McCarley really did get this character the whole time. And I'm an idiot and wrong. And this is why I'm not a voice actor. Um, this is why I'm not a voice actor or a voice director. I'm just some futz that talks shit on the internet. Um... But God, like it was, it was really good, and it's not something I expected because I'm not super, super familiar with Kyle McCarley. Like, I've not, I'm not really a big fan of Mob Psycho. I watched maybe like a couple episodes, and I've been meaning to go back and try it again for the sake of just giving it another shot because I'm not a really big fan of One's works. By the way, like I, I think One Punch Man is overrated, and just never really got into it. Um, and I, I don't watch Mech, so I haven't watched Iron Blooded Orphans. Uh, so I really don't think I've watched any, and I, I never watched Durara really, and I've never seen Fate, fucking Fate, besides Apocrypha. Don't worry, we're fixing that, kids. Um, so if this was my introduction to Kyle McCarley as an actor, I would be like, yeah, this guy's really good, and why aren't you fucking casting him in more shit? So, there's that. <clears throat> oh, it's my turn now, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> okay, yes. uh... Yeah, Kyle McCarley as Rio. Like, dear God. I'm uh I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna come clean about something. He is already like this show came out five days into 2018. Technically like a month and five days into eligibility for it. He is already pretty far in the running for Golden Ham for the the 2018 Ws. Like, I came to appreciate his kind of cold demeanor from... I think it was like episode two where I'm just like, Oh, hey, I see what they're doing here. He's detached from the world. I can get... I can dance to this jam. So, you know, you, you kind of start to learn a little bit more about Brio, and then, oh, hey. And I, I, I just love how nonchalantly during episode 10, he's just like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm Satan. Yeah, like, legitimately, he just, it's like, oh, you're here. He's like, what did you do, Rio? Oh, yeah, by the way, Akira. Bitch! I don't know why we're really looking forward to this introductory thing. Like, wait, you're a human, aren't you? <laughs> like, to be Also, B, I would like to point out that when they're, like, flying, him and Psycho Jenny are, like, flying through the air, Satan literally has, like, beachy sparkles going. <laughs> yep. But, you know, to be fair, he, he actually did think he was human for, like, I think up until, like, episode 9... Eight or nine. Yeah. He's yeah. Like under the impression he's human. And then, oh, yeah, the demons have been kind of orchestrating things from behind the scenes. 
like they do. Because they're demons. Like Zoink Scoob, it's Satan. <laughs> like Zoink oh. Scoob, Ron, it's Satan. Coming 2019, <laughs> the Devil Man Scooby Doo crossover hour. Oh god, Mark your calendars you know, now. In the run cycle. <laughs> I like, forgot about the run cycle. <laughs> like somebody actually synced it up to the uh, to the sound effect of Scooby Doo running. And, and it works so well. It's like, R.I.P. Naruto Run 2000 whatever to 2018, replaced with Devilman Run. <sighs> I will laugh my ass off if I watch some kid eat their eat it at a con <laughs> trying to do the Devilman <sighs> Run. <laughs> Sometimes life is good. Uh. I feel bad for the hotel's insurance when some poor kid knocks out a front tooth. Oh. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. My two front teeth. My two front teeth. Whack! I, I, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing an anime Boston in the future where much like how Magfest has those, some of the people put up those no Colossus yell signs. I'm just seeing signs that say no devil man run. What? Exactly. Okay. But, now uh, that we derailed everything. Yeah, I gotta I gotta digress back. Um to to uh Rio basically after he becomes Satan and he, he's just like this glorious ham. Like I I mean is it is it bad that like when I saw, when I watched the show and I was like, you know what? If they ever wanted to go back and make like a chibi berserk spinoff i would totally if they had to like somehow recast griffith again i'm like completely okay with kyle mccarley being griffith oh hey and there's gonna there's a gonna guy chibi series that there is please let kyle mccarley play rio in the gonna guy chibi series like i i think it's from like the 80s so i don't know if it'll ever get a dub if it hasn't already stranger things have happened this is true. <laughs> Play, insert Stranger theme, Stranger Things. Yeah, right. There. You have the money, Netflix. Do it. You can do it. But um, I I gotta dig. Like you also Devil Man Chibi thing. That would be amazing. <laughs> so yeah, Kyle McCarley is a ham. Like I don't know if I can find anybody else who would be able to take the golden ham from him. Like, I, I just don't know. So, this is just like Hawka all over again, where I, where, um, since this episode is going to be coming out after the dubbies, I can probably talk about it. Uh, my first draft of my dubbies was pretty much Hawka everywhere. Like, every single category, I'm just like, uh, I gotta put somebody from Hawka in here. Oh. To be fair, that was also me. <laughs> and then it like at like the end of December, pretty much a day or two before the deadline, I'm just like, okay, you know what? I gotta pull a lot of these out and replace them with other dubs from the year. This isn't fair. And I I feel like Devilman Crybaby is just gonna be one of those lopsided dubs. But I'll have more thoughts about that toward the end.
But um, Kyle McCarley is one of my favorite performances of the show. Let me just put that out right there. And with that, um, I think we can move on to our final character. Yep. Akira. Akira Fudo. <clears throat> yes. Akira Fudo. Basically, the human embodiment of whippy, whippy, whippy. Hefty, hefty, hefty. I listened. How, <laughs> how dare you bring that was... into this house? <laughs> Get out. No, my favorite one was a picture of him as the skinny Akira and then, like, the chunky Akira. And somebody goes, I listened to the Kira one. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Uh, Double man shit posts are kind of the fucking best. Oh, it's magical. Also, uh, remember I hate this one the most. Remember Car Cat from Homestuck with the same <laughs> I was like, God damn it! It's like, why'd you have to bring Homestuck into this? I mean, I was too old for Homestuck. But um, so Akira basically got possessed by the spirit of Amon, becomes Devil Man. And, oh, as luck would have it, hey, his human heart's still intact. Who'd have thunk it? Apparently Rio. Yep. So yep. he just goes around killing the, the problematic demons and then later basically trying to save the souls of the devil men and the souls of humanity from itself. And uh, in this adaptation, Devilman Crybaby, uh, Akira Fudo is played by Griffin Burns, whom you would have probably heard as Jinta, uh, aka Jintan Yadomi from Anohana. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> uh, Shulnark from Hunter Hunter. Uh, Jundai Kayahara and Kuromakuro. And Cyborg 0018, a.k.a. Seth, in Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman. Da-da-da-da! We did it, fam! Ding, ding, so ding, wait, ding, what ding, you're ding, saying ding. is basically everybody in the cast was in Devilman vs. Cyborg. Uh, a couple people weren't, but it was basically, like, everybody. <laughs> I mean, to yeah. be fair, it's Cyborg 009 versus Devilman. You have ah, you have nine cyborgs default, and then you have more beyond that. This is true. Lord. Oh, yes. Which, by the way, that was actually Cyborg 009 versus Devilman. It, it's not great, but it, it is kind of fun. And the dub is actually pretty decent. Yeah. Is it, is it, yeah, that was the sort of like super ADWHs. Yeah. But uh, in any case, let us get to our thoughts about Devilman Crybaby and Akira Fudo. Okay. Alright, um, so I'll admit that when I first heard the trailer for the dub and I recognized it as Akira, I was a little bit surprised at the casting choice. Uh, mostly because the same playing Akira in the Japanese version of the show is none other than Koji Uchiyama. And if you've ever heard Koji Uchiyama, you know his teen boy voice is actually pretty deep. Uh, so going for someone with a voice as soft as Christian Burns is uh, kind of a really big 180 there. 
Uh, but having said that, I think it actually works really well for the kind of character Akira actually is. Because uh, while Akira certainly looks swole and intimidating, he is actually a very empathetic and emotional person. And uh, Griffin Burns plays that really well. And uh, you know, since Akira always kind of feels that he wears his heart on his sleeve, and uh, that just makes every bad thing that happens to him all the more painful. Uh, his moments in episode 9 in particular were really gut-wrenching. And when he finally started to snap after he saw what happened to Miki, you just, you really fell for him. Um, so I mean, it's always nice when an odd catching choice pays off really well, so I'm very happy with Griffin Burns here, and I really hope this will be his last big role. As somebody who only knows Griffin Burns from Anohana, um... <laughs> So which, when I finished that show, my reaction was to call Andrew and just be like, well, fuck. And when I finished this show, my exact my reaction was to call Andrew and go, well, fuck. Um, so thanks, Griffin Burns. Um, I think he did well as both the human version of the fish from Lou Over the Wall and as buff, buff muscular here. Oh, come on. He looks like the fish from Lou Over the Wall. I mean, now that you've pointed it out, you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, they even call him a mermaid. Uh, damn it. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I really fucking loved it. Like, his Akira was like no other action kind of protagonist voice that I've heard. And it was a lot, It in some ways it's not like a lot that I've heard. And it's also reminding me of one other thing. And it has a lot of the same qualities that I like about Justin Briner's Deku. In that it's not a actor who is, like, deep and, like, Hey guys, I'm, uh, I'm Ichigo Kurosaki. Or, hey guys, I'm, uh, I'm, okay, wait, no. Or, like, screechy, like, kind of like Naruto is. Though, granted, or like Sasuke level, like I I really enjoyed that they went for an, a a voice and a performance that even though Akira was like a bigger kind of like muscular dude, he wasn't like he he didn't look like Armstrong when he buffed up. He was kind of like <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this words. He's a twonk. <laughs> <laughs> He's a twonk. <laughs> he goes from tweet. From twink to twonk, if you know what I'm saying. I can't believe that I'm using that as a description. And I have a degree! I went to college! I have a bachelor's degree in humanities, and this is what I'm doing it for, describing Akira Fudo as a twonk. <laughs> what is my life <laughs> Such is the destructive power of anime. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my cat crawled into my lap and he's being a nuisance. Aww. It's okay, Mr. I mean, he's an adorable nuisance, but he is knocking into things. No, let Mr. Cricket stay. He's a good That's boy. True. But yeah, like, Griffin Birds does a good twunk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, the only way I can think to describe it is a twonk! It's <laughs> <laughs> like a thick sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when 
of being like the big action hero without having to like sound like his balls dropped to like and went through the earth into china like and i really like that when he's like the big burly devil man thing he's like i am devil man and like he just is such a little dork oh yeah he's a dork that was given a bigger body and he does it just for being a good person and i really appreciate that and it had a lot of the qualities that i really like in like justin brighter's performance as deku but with ultra sex and violence, and I still can't believe I described him as a fucking twonk. Somebody take over. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'll take over. Um, I agree. Um, I, I liked a lot of... That he's a twonk? Uh, I agree that it was... I mean, that's you're not wrong, but I mostly agree that he was good. Um, one of the things I appreciate about it is that I've been reading a little bit of one of the... Um, uh, the like One of those sort of remake Devilman series of Seven Seas translated um, late last year. And an interesting thing I found is that in there, when Akira turns into devil, like when he becomes devil man, he gets a lot more like kind of, you know, aggressive to everybody when he's a human. Um, and I found it interesting that here, even though he's like a little more intimidating and so on, he, he's still basically the same dude. He's just bigger now. Um, and I liked what uh, Griffin, I like how he maintained that. I like how even though like, oh, he's a little more rough and tough. It's like, yeah, this is still the same guy who like, doesn't like seeing his friends get hassled and cries at the drop of a hat because he's he's so he's so empathetic to everybody. He's so sad. He's just so, it's like you were you were sad. No, don't be. No, you were sad. Your friend died and you were sad. Okay, Akira Fudo is they're, the they're, guy they're, who they're, cries over cat videos. You're crying too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I I, I I appreciated that. I thought that was an interesting you know, choice on the show, and I appreciated that he kept that in the character. Like, he could have very easily been much more, like, you know, like we were saying he's not. And I like that he keeps a lot of that empathy in the character, which I think is so important. And so, and I think that's very important to what makes the show work. And I like that they kept with that decision. It's like, yeah, no, he's, like, a big muscular demon, but he's still a big softy, really. Like, he, he just wants everyone to get along. Stop hurting people. Come on. Be nice. <laughs> Roots? Yeah, I I just love the fact that for like only the first episode he's this adorable little shrimp. And he like He's the fish from Lou over the wall. And that's not the comparison I'm about to go for. Um Who here has seen oh god, what's it called? Um duh, 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 duh. Uh, the the show with the the guy who likes Swedish pop becoming the uh, who's secretly the uh, oh D Detroit Metal City Detroit or whatever Metal it's City. called <laughs> well you're not wrong <laughs> he's just like this sweet kid who I imagine listens to like pop music and then all of a sudden you take him to a party once just once. <laughs> and suddenly he's kind of a dick with a heart of gold he also came on the ceiling yep. <laughs> I need to find that daily show thing from the last couple days about the uh, Pornhub use in the last couple uh, during the uh, Hawaii uh... <laughs> one of the great charts in the history of charts that there okay I need to find the actual thing because it's just fucking hysterical. Alright, I'm sorry. I gotta finish this up. 
so Akira, basically episode two, he's just this biggest asshole because he's trying to get trying to get Amon under control so that he can just you know continue being Akira. And then over the course of like episodes three through probably right until the shit hits a fan, um, he's basically just this lovable goof. Like he's you know pool party with Rio. Yeah. Oh god, that was my favorite thing. He's like, come on, Rio, let's use your pool. Wee! And like he, like he jumps in the pool and he just kind of teabags Rio on his way down. I can't believe Rio died in episode three. <laughs> Alright, uh, oh god. Oh, and you know what? There's actually a third state of Akira, basically when he transforms. And it's... It's not like... It's not like Griffin Burns is just trying to roar out all of his lines as Devil Man. There's more of a growl to the back of his voice, but... It's still, for the most part, him. Like, it's not like... It's not like the OVA where they just kind of overlay a bunch of, uh... Just like a bunch of a guy shouting in a trash can over the back of him. Because... Like, that's basically how you get, like... It, have, have any of you watched, like, the bonus features of, like, The Lion King? Oh, where uh, Frank Welker's growling into a trash can to be uh, the lion Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a real Oh, thing. I believe it. And, like, holy shit, it, it sounds, like, really real. But, um, yeah, the, the dub clips of the OVA where he's just like, oh, I'm Devil Man! It just sounds like, it just sounds so hokey, but I, I'm happy to report here that uh, Griffin Burns' Devil Man is not that. Yeah, it's definitely not. And, oh god, and his, and basically the end of the emotional arc at the end of episode 10 and the start of episode, I'm sorry, the end of episode 9 and the start of episode 10, where he's just kind of lost everything. And he goes to confront Rio. Like, that is... That is some real emotional stuff. And you know what? He's actually a frontrunner for best... You know, best drama actor for the Dubbies this year as well. Mm. Along with Christina V for actress drama, but yeah. So... Do you think it's time for final thoughts? Yep. yep. Let's do this. Alright. Okay, so I'm probably gonna go a little walk with it here, but uh, bear with me. Okay, so I watch a lot of anime, as you can probably tell. And as such, uh, stuff can kind of blur together after a while, and uh, even shows I like, it kind of fades out of memory after a while, you know, like after the new season of anime comes out, and you sort of forget about what came before. Yeah, but anyway, this show is one of those rare exceptions because it's been three weeks since I first plowed through it, and there are sort of like random moments in the day where I might find myself getting lost and thought about it. And when a show leaves that kind of impact on you, it's, it's a pretty remarkable thing. 
And when it comes to as surrealist package and twisted, it can kind of just seem to be disposable entertainment and become something more. It becomes, well, it becomes art. And I mean, like all art, this certainly has its flaws, and like the general philosophy of the ending isn't something I can personally agree with as an optimist. Uh, but it's so well crafted that I'm really necessarily willing to embrace a lot of those flaws. And it's really rare to be able to say that about any kind of media, honestly. I mean, I'm not sure if this is going to end up as one of my personal favorites, but it's definitely a work I have a ton of respect for, and I'm really glad it got a dub that's definitely worth the its time. And since there's a lot of similar works that you can't really say that about, looking at you, Hedda. Uh, anyway, this is not an easy show to watch, and it's not something I would really recommend sitting through. It's not sitting through if it makes you feel uncomfortable, but speaking personally, I'm really glad I saw this through to the end, and it was definitely an experience I do not regret. Guess I'll go next. Um, holy shit. Um, <laughs> like, I was like, hey, I saw all these people making, like, shit posts and stuff about it on Twitter, so I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll watch the show, and Roots and I had been kind of talking, and... Uh, it was because of Roots I had watched my first uh, Yuasa show last year, which was Ping Pong the Animation, which, while I really think that this dub is really good, um, Ping Pong the Animation still stands as the gold standard of how to dub a Yuasa show. Um, it, this is second place in, in that pantheon of, hey, we're going to dub Yuasa, and this is gonna how it's going to go. Um, I completely stand with what Jet said. This is not a show I'm going to recommend to most people I know who watch anime. Like... This is not a show I can say, like, hey guys, there's this new anime thing on Netflix, you should go check it out. This isn't, like, Seven Deadly Sins or, like, uh, uh, Little Witch Academia or, like, even probably Children of the Whales, which I'm going to assume is not, like, this. Like, this is a show that I could see, like, people who I went to college with sitting with because we're film, we were film studies majors. Like... Even when I signed up to this episode, I said, yeah, hell yeah, I'll do Devil May Cry Baby with you. Roots was like, are you sure that I was going to be okay with watching it? Because I had had such a problem with stuff like Mon Musu and Seven Deadly Sins. Seven fucking God! <laughs> Seven Mortal Sins. Uh, because that show, and this is kind of a way to, I think that some of you guys can kind of get to know me a little bit better. I am not against sex and violence being used for stuff like it is in Devil Man Crybaby, where it's not as much used for just titillation, where it's also used as, like, story motivation, where it's used to express character mindset, where it's used to uh, be... It's not just gratuitous, for the sake of being gratuitous. And even though this is, like, stuff that that we owe a lot of gratuitous dark and violence stuff, too. Thanks, Gonagai. Um... I, I don't feel like this is a tasteless show. And and honestly, like I said, this is probably some of the, the media that's hit me the hardest since I've watched things like uh, Dancer in the Dark or um, it's not the, or like maybe even like if I'm going back to older cinema, like the feeling I got like the first time I watched Rashomon or the first time I watched The Bicycle Thieves. Um, I was blown away. This is probably one of like, this is a show like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, like, talk about anime and, like, be really, like, academically about it, you've gotta sit and, like, I will, like, as an academic thing, I would say, like, go fucking watch this. The dub is really, really fucking good. It's a contender for probably one of the best dubs of 2017 already. It really, 
was a good step forward from Netflix. Um, while Netflix, in terms of the simulcast game, is being really fucking stupid still, uh, if this is how their original works are gonna go, keep it up at this level. Yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed this dub a lot. Um, I thought it was good, uh, and I'm not, I appreciate it's, it's, it has made, you know, in addition to just being on Netflix, I feel this has helped me make the show more accessible. I'm not sure how accessible a show like this is. Uh, much like Megan, I would probably recommend this less to some of my friends who watch anime and more say my friend John, who watches a little bit of anime, but is 100% my cohort in watching, uh, extreme art house madness that most people have no interest in. Um, but even then, like, this this feels like something that's going to get talked about for a long time, as just, like, something that's interesting and challenging, and I think importantly got seen by a lot of people, which I feel like shows like this often don't get to. Sometimes they end up being kind of a little obscure. Um, and I like that this was so challenging and that this got to have such an accessible medium and that it's on this streaming service a lot of people use, and it got a good, and not just an English dub, but, like, a really good one you can actually, like, listen to. So if you want to recommend this to people, it's like, yes, no, you, if you don't, if you're not into subtitles, you can watch this in English and it'll still be a good experience. Um, mm. and I used, to, I used to appreciate that. I like it when challenging material is made, like, you don't, you, you as the audience have to work just a little bit less to get into it. I appreciate that. Roots. All right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I I'm really glad this was because this is actually like the flagship, completely original Netflix anime. I mean, they they didn't like produce it, but you know, it's the first thing you can only get on Netflix anywhere in the world. And honestly. I don't even think they could have gotten away with some of the stuff they were able to if this were theatrical movies released in Japan. Oh yeah. No. This 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 needed something like Netflix to exist on in order to exist the way it is. Yeah. Like, that, that's very crucial. But um <clears throat> I I'm really glad this was something that ended up getting made. Uh, I I really I really have trepidations recommending it to people unless you know you're already a fan of Yuasa's, you're more of an art house type, or you know you grew up in in the era of the ultra violent grindhouse OVAs and. You know, I, like Amon said, I am really glad this was given another point of access via dub. Because I haven't actually turned around to watch the subversion yet. But I, I'm honestly just really glad this is something people who might scoff at subtitles would be able to watch if they really wanted to. And, you know, the most power, the most profitable streaming service in the world is carrying this. Like, it is in millions of homes in the U.S. alone, not to mention everywhere else in the world that Netflix serves. So, 
I mean, I'm kind of nervous at that fact because, you know, kids might get to this the same way someone like me kind of pushed, <clears throat> kind of pushed the ultra-violent OVA DHS tapes and into my parents' hands without, you know, showing them the box cover at a, at a video rental store. Like, oh, hey, Lily Cat. This looks like a charming film for children. Sure, I will rent this movie for you. Ron Howard narration. It was not. <laughs> it was not. But yeah, I mean, other than, you know, impressionable kids getting a hold of it and not knowing what to do with the subject material that they see, I, I think this getting into being accessible to millions of homes across the U.S. and across the globe is probably one of the greatest gifts Netflix has bestowed upon the anime community so far. But not Violet Evergarden, because they are motherfuckers. <laughs> U.S., okay. Spain, and Australia, the only three countries Netflix serves that doesn't get Violet Evergarden as a slave. It's, it, it's okay, we'll, we'll get to coming on someday. someday. We'll, we'll, we'll get it eventually. But, um... By the, you know, now that you said that Australia doesn't have the Violet Evergarden, you know what I imagined? Huh. What? H have you ever seen that one episode of the Fairly Odd Parents where they keep going into the internet and Crocker comes out in, like, Australia and the girl's like, it! It's a computer virus! And she picks up a boomerang and throws it at the computer and she's, like, sitting in a kangaroo's pouch and that's their version of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I imagined. Oh, fuck you, Netflix, you buggers. Uh, but, but, um, um, in terms of the actual dub itself, uh, this is a very, in and of itself, not just the, the, the three characters I mentioned being strong contenders for dubbies, like, the show itself. And again, this is five days into the year. We are only, as of recording, we only have access to, like, three of Funimation's winter simuldubs so far. Maybe four. They're pretty good, but they're not, like, Devil Man good as of yet. Yeah. But, um, we'll, we'll be getting to, like, some or most of those here right quick. But, um... I'm just really glad this is a thing that we're talking about right now. Because I, I really like talking about Yuasa shows. And I, I wish I could talk about more of them. Hopefully more get made. More get dubbed. More hey, get released. Like, Funimation! Anytime you want to release Funimation, Dubbed a Tiny Galaxy, you cowards! <laughs> just do it, friends. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, I guess if you want to watch Devilman Crybaby, it's it's on Netflix. Odds are good you're already subscribed to it. Um, I actually don't know what the price point is per month nowadays. I don't know. It's just bundled into my cable now, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it's bundled into a... Yeah, at this point, it's just one of those things you don't even think about. 
like, it's bundled into a lot of cable packages, it's bundled into phone plans. I mean, look, at this point, if you don't have access to a Netflix description directly, there's a good chance you know someone who does anyways. Like, you'll... Yeah. I think you can manage. Like, you know that one cool guy who will give you his Netflix password. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Just how, like, I'm the cool person on Dubtalk who will give everybody access to her Amazon Prime account. Now, in addition, you know, I, we don't typically do this, but I do kind of want to run down the, um, some other Yuasa titles that are available legally in the English-speaking world. Um, his, his debut work, Mind Game, is currently streaming on Verve. Um, it'll have a theatrical run... As of the time this episode is supposed to be released in early February, it'll be released theatrically later that month via G-Kids, and there will also be a Blu-ray and DVD release via Shout Factory. And um, if you live in the UK, you'll be able to get it through Anime Limited, and I believe Siren has it in Australia. Uh, Kaiba is available on Blu-ray and DVD through Discotech Media here in the U.S. And um, in Australia, it's available on DVD via Siren. Uh, the Tatami Galaxy is currently streaming via Crunchyroll. And it's available in the U.K. on Blu-ray through Anime Limited. And I think Siren has it in Australia? It's either Siren or um, Mad <laughs> somebody. Yeah, either Siren or Madman. Madman, Mad yeah. One of them has it. Um, Kickheart is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, it is available on Blu-ray in the U.S. via, like, third-party Amazon importers. You can probably get a copy for, like, 30 bucks. Well, the, the smart thing to do would be to uh, back the Kickstarter, like I did. Sadly, that requires a time machine at this point, so... Yeah. And, um, it's available on Blu-ray in the U.K. through, like, a production IG OVA collection uh, released by Anime Limited. Uh, Ping Pong the Animation, you can stream dubbed on Funimation and subbed on Crunchyroll. Avoid Verve right now because of subtitling issues for the, the Chinese language segments. And like, signs and, uh, signs and songs. Um, you can get it on Blu-ray in the US via Funimation. Uh, in the UK via Anime Limited. And in Australia via, I believe, Madman. Uh, you can find the Adventure Time episode he directed, Food Chain, basically on Cartoon Network. Check your local broadcaster. They probably also have it on the app, and I think the season it was released from is also on Blu-ray now. Um, Lou Over the Wall and The Night is Short, Walk on Girl. Uh, they will be released at some point this year theatrically in the U.S. via G-Kids. And I believe Anime Limited in the UK has already done them. Stay tuned for more information on Australia. And home video, basically Anime Limited is the only people who have details right now on that. So if you live in the US or Australia, again, stay tuned. Uh, so with that, I believe this episode is done. Um... <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't believe we did this. <laughs> yeah, this is wonderful. 
Uh, so why don't you guys basically go around and tell us where we can find you? Basically on the onlines. Okay, so as always, you can find me on Twitter at Jared's Infinity. Uh, you'll usually find me raising my cartoons for some weird reason. You can also find me on my blog at Infinity where I might occasionally write things. And also, occasionally I write things in the Batman Post so that not doing anything to see them. And, uh, yeah. The dubs. Uh, you can find me over at Queen Era 2 on the Twitter. Uh, my job is to make shit posts uh, and be a, a general piece of shit. Uh, I'm also a moderator at the Funimation Discord as well. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Amandul US. Dual is two U's in it. Uh, where I mostly talk about music or movie I saw recently and retweet a lot of amusing stuff that I find. Um, you can also go to my f f very infrequently updated blog, uh, The World That's Coming, at worldthatscoming.blogspot.com. Uh, and I'd like to take a second to uh, plug something for you. Uh, later this year, Seven Seas is going to start putting out the original Devilman manga in English. Uh, which I encourage you all to go out and buy, mostly because I had written off a lot of those old going to guy manga as stuff that will never see the light of day in an official English translation. And I'm both amazed that it exists and that Seven Seas is putting it out, which continues to astonish me. So I'd recommend go support that, because I like all this old manga they're putting out, and I'd like them to keep doing it. Absolutely. Give us a give us a dusty old song. Oh, uh, what's a good one? Let's ooh, what's hmm. Oh, what's a good one for Devil Man? What's evil? Oh, uh, so this. So if you if you know your songs, you've probably heard this one already. But you should go on to your preferred music streaming site and listen to six six six. Sorry, the number of the beast by Iron Maiden, which feels like a suitably metal song for this uh, this show. Go listen to it. It's good for you. And uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Roots of Justice, where I basically, um, you know, I kind of put the, the tinfoil hat away for now, but I still repost cute animal pics, mostly pugs. Pugs are good. Pugs are love. Pugs are life. And um, occasionally I'm funny, so, you know, there's that too. And, um, eventually I'm gonna get that blog I keep talking about up and running. And now that I have editing software, I kind of want to actually make use of my YouTube page. Stay tuned for details. Roots, I know what you're talking about. You're very funny. <laughs> I think you're very funny. We love you, Roots of Justice. Uh, so with that, um, I believe this episode is a wrap. Yay! So from us at Dub Talk, I would like to wish you a good day, keep it manly, and otaku on the daba!
Hey folks, Roots of Justice here. The fact that you got to this point tells me you finished the episode, realized there was a little extra time on the clock, and decided to see what this was all about. I'm sorry to say that unfortunately this isn't bloopers. But you know what? I'm obliged that you're here anyway. So how'd you like the episode? It took me about three anxiety-filled passes over the audio, but I think I've got a rhythm down now. There was also a lot I wanted to say, but really didn't have room in a two-hour episode for. You know, stuff like the state of Netflix entering the anime game as an actual network equivalent. Especially with the recent co-production announcements for Production IG and Bones. I also wanted to talk about the sex-positive and LGBTQ-positive messaging of the show, but perhaps a chance may come at a later date. So this is a special occasion for me personally, kind of a trifecta of milestones in terms of my relationship with the show. This episode is my first editing gig for basically anybody, I'm learning the editing software as I go. It's also my tenth hosting gig, as well as... Well, not exact. It's getting close to about three years of my involvement in this little experiment. If you count Show by Rock, which I do. So I need to first thank Jet, Megan, and Amon for joining me for this episode. I'd also like to thank Zenith, who was originally slated to be here, but due to family situations was unable to be a part of the recording. It wouldn't be right of me not to show appreciation, especially considering the latter half of the show and how uncomfortably bleak it, it was, you know, capable of being. Uh, on this occasion, I also need to thank Hardy and Steph for respectively pushing me and keeping me involved in this project. Also, everyone else in the crew for their own contributions in nurturing and facilitating my growth as a podcaster, host, editor general human being. Andrew, Gigi, Jamal, Black, Noah, and Sneeds. Thank you. I also owe a debt of gratitude to you, the listener. Obviously, without someone on the other side of the speaker, my words have nowhere to go. So thank you for tuning in. I know I don't get the same degree of sight traffic as, like, a ladies' night would, but, you know... I'm grateful to everyone who decides to hear what I have to say, and what my fellow contributors have to say as well. Now, I'm sure a few of you are thinking at this point, oh god, is Roots, in <laughs> is Roots announcing his retirement here now? Well, to that I have this to say. Come on, what do you take me for? I'm only just getting started. I have an incredibly full plate coming up, from a show I've been waiting two years for a dub for, to, uh... Two shows I've actually wanted to really talk about with a lot of people for a good part of a decade. And all of this is slated to record before Anime Boston. I'm, I'm gonna be busier than I've ever been before, and I couldn't be any more excited. So from up here in the frozen north, thank you all. And otaku on, dubbas.